Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not perfect. Oh, mercy. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the Masson Newsroom, it is the Masson All Access Podcast here on a Wednesday afternoon. Paul Mancano joined by Brendan Mortensen via Zoom. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. Brendan, we got a lot to get to. We're going to talk about some potential Orioles free agent signings for this winter. We're also going to have a guest on to discuss uh, Tyler Nevin, one of the prospects the Orioles got back Right before the trade deadline, that would be Jeff Dooley, the broadcaster, who was just calling his games back in 2019. So that's all fun and good. But, Brendan, we got some topics we want to discuss about all of baseball. Let's start with the news yesterday from the commissioner, Rob Manfred. Yeah, Rob Manfred uh, said that he wanted to keep some of the new rules that came into effect in the 2020 season. He wanted to keep the expanded playoffs, which I hate. And he wanted to keep the runner on second in extra innings, which I started out hating and then hated a little less as the season went on. I think of the two rule changes, I'm okay with the runner on second to start extra innings. I warmed up to it as the season went on. I think it added a good bit of excitement to extra innings. But the expanded playoffs, I hate I've said it a bunch of times on this podcast, but I think the current format that we had in 2020 was way too many teams. I think even shrinking it down to 14 is too many as well. I'm good with 10. I think that is a nice little in-between. I know that was the format that we had before 2020. Personally, if I were to make a change, I would change the wild card game to a three-game series instead of just a one-and-done, but... I'm really not a fan of the expanded playoff. I think if you start having teams with losing records in the playoffs, it, you shouldn't have teams with losing records in the playoffs. <laughs> yeah. that's, my, that's my take. Well, first, I, I agree about the runner on second. I think it, pretty much almost everybody, not almost everybody, the majority of baseball fans and people who cover the sport, I think, warmed up to that rule because, look, baseball games are pretty long. They set the record every year for average game length. And when you have games that go 15, 16 innings, potentially, um, that just lengthens that. And it's tough to keep a viewing audience strung along for that amount of time if you don't have kind of like a, a light at the end of the tunnel there. So I do agree that I, I think it it does add a little bit of something. So I like the rule probably now more than I did six months ago. Expanded playoffs, I think we need to expand the field. I agree with Manfred there. I don't think, I think 16 is too many, and I think Manfred has acknowledged that. I mean, we, you know, in this current playoff format, we should not be seeing the Brewers and Marlins make the playoffs and then just, you know, I mean, the Marlins won a playoff series, so good for them. But those teams probably should not have been in the postseason. And I hate the idea of having the top two teams in every division make it that just defeats the whole purpose, I think, of a division, which is you should have a winner of a division, and the other three are losers of the division. Uh, So I want to expand it. I don't want it to be 16. I'm thinking 12, 14, Brendan. I think, you know, Manfred has said 14 in the past. I think, what, 12 is the number that the NFL has where they have buys for the first couple uh, seeds in each conference. So in each league, it would be for baseball. But I think that would be kind of a happy medium because I, I, like you, I don't 
want to see the one-game wildcard playoff. I, I hate it. I don't think a, a baseball season should come down to the one game after 162. Um, but I don't know exactly what the happy medium is. I, I hope that they're going to find it this winter. I would be fine with 12. I still don't love it, but if it's 12 or 14 or 16, 12 is definitely the best option for me. Yeah, I mean, look, it just increases the Orioles' chances of making the postseason in 2021. Exactly. Got to look at it that way. Exactly. Speaking of the Orioles, uh, we got to talk about it last podcast because we talked about the uh, potential trades the Orioles could make this offseason, and I made a blunder while listening back to it. I realized that you said Renato Nunez to the Cubs, and I heard you say Chicago, and in my mind, I filled in the blank and said White Sox, and I heard what I wanted to hear, and uh, you were saying Cubs, and I was saying White Sox. So I was saying Renato Nunez to the White Sox. You were saying to the Cubs, I'm just never going to do a podcast without coffee ever again. Well, listen, to be fair, I think both the White Sox and the Cubs had valid, <laughs> like, valid reasons to trade for Renato Nunez. So it worked out in the end. But, uh, yeah, I mean, listen, I, I've gotten used to you just kind of plowing through and hearing what you want to hear on these podcasts. <laughs> wow. So, yeah. No. Hey, you rolled with the punches. I mean, you didn't even skip I, a beat. I did. You can call yeah. me out on that in the future, Brendan. Oh, I will. Okay. I will. Don't okay, worry. Okay, good. Uh, and also, one one thing about that, because we after we posted that, I went back and I looked at some of the comments. Fans were not too happy about the idea of trading Renato Nunez. Um, and we've laid out the reasons why... We think that that is probably something that they should do and probably will do this offseason. Uh, but I'm not going to relitigate that now. I want to talk about how every offseason we seem to get the same type things. While the Orioles are in the middle of this rebuild, I understand from a fan perspective not wanting to trade guys away. And about a year ago, we saw this when the Orioles traded Jonathan VR away to the Marlins. It was, I think, right, right in the November-December area, uh, maybe first week of December, shortly before winter meetings. And the fan outcry was strong in opposition of this trade. But here's the thing. Jonathan VR was bad this year for the Marlins. Very bad. He hit 232. Uh, I think he had like two homers. He had an OPS in the 500s, which is difficult to do. He was traded by the Marlins, a team that made the playoffs to the Blue Jays, a team that barely used him down the stretch. And now he is a free agent. And here's the other thing. The guy that the Orioles got to replace Jonathan VR ended up being significantly better and cheaper in Jose Iglesias than the production that they would have gotten from Jonathan VR. So the Orioles, believe it or not, Mike Elias knows what he's doing with a lot of these moves. He knew that Jonathan VR was going to be a free agent in a year. He knew he was going to have to owe him a lot of money in arbitration. He didn't want to pay it because he knew that he could spend that money better elsewhere, as he did with Jose Iglesias, who got a contract of three, four million dollars, whereas Jonathan VR ended up getting paid about eight million dollars. And Jonathan VR was a significantly worse player for his team, was traded by a team that had playoff aspirations because they didn't want him on their team anymore. And the Orioles ended up with Jose Iglesias and have a chance now to have him for another season while Jonathan VR is hitting the free agent market. Unfortunately, probably at the worst time for him, but in a market that I can't see him getting many, if really any, suitors at this point on a major league deal. So rant over. I just <laughs> It frustrates me, and I, I understand not wanting to trade away guys 
um, it, during a rebuild because you get attached to players. You see certain production from players. I mean, Jonathan VR played 162 games during that season um, and was productive for the Orioles that year. But he, he's not a guy you build around. He's not even a guy you build with. He is just a guy to have there. And the Orioles got something for him. And even if Easton Lucas, the guy they got back, turns out to not even make his major league debut, it was worth it because they got something for a year where Jonathan VR was really not a good player. And look, with the Renato Nunez thing, it's not even like we're saying he's not a good player. He doesn't belong on the Orioles. It's just a matter of there are so many good players around him that you would probably rather build around and get playing time that Nunez just doesn't really fit in there anywhere. And to your point about Jonathan VR, Jose Iglesias was probably better than advertised. He probably gave you more production than you thought he was going to coming in. But to your point, he was cheaper than Jonathan VR. You have the option to bring him back next year. And he turned out to give you a lot more value than VR did. So as much as we love these players and want them to stick around on the O's, Michael Elias knows what he's doing. He's on the right track with this rebuild. And right now in Elias, we trust. And if he makes the moves, we've got to go along with it because he's not given us a reason to not think that those moves are going to benefit the Orioles going forward because he's made a lot of good ones so far. Absolutely. Absolutely. And at this point, if he had kept on, if he had held on to Jonathan VR, they wouldn't be offering him a contract because he just had a 593 OPS and he would walk out the door for nothing. And at this point, I would rather have Jose Iglesias for half the money and an option for next year as a potential trade piece. And at the very least, he can give you production uh, at shortstop going forward. So anyway, just wanted to get that off my chest, Brendan. That had been bothering me for quite a while. Um, let's get into some free agent potential signings by the Baltimore Orioles. We did the same thing that we did last week with the trades. We did three that we could probably see happening or we think are fairly likely, two that are a little bit less likely, and then one off-the-wall uh, potential free agent signing for the Orioles. So a couple obstacles going into the free agent market this winter. We know that the all these teams around baseball are going to probably have less cash at their disposal than they did in previous years because of the no fans in the stands. And also, the Orioles don't have as many spots that they need to fill, I think, as they did last year. I think that they have more cemented uh, young guys in those spots between the guys in the rotation with Dean Kramer, Keegan Aiken, maybe a Bruce Zimmerman, um, so they, they probably have a little bit less need in the rotation. They have less need, certainly, in the outfield. They have Ryan Mountcastle uh, solidified there as well with Austin Hayes and uh, Cedric Mullins and Anthony Santander. So there just aren't that many holes to fill for immediate needs for this year when we know that all these guys are going to be making their Major League debuts in 2021. Yeah, I, there aren't a ton of holes to fill, but I think there are some places that the Orioles could improve on yeah. in the diamond. And uh, a lot of my free agent signees, my hypothetical here, are either, okay, if the Orioles don't bring back this guy or end up trading this guy or just want to improve at this spot, but it's a lot less of the Orioles don't have anybody here who can play, they've got to sign somebody, which is a lot of improvement from last offseason. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, give us your first fairly likely trade or uh, free agent signing, rather, that the, you think the Orioles could make this offseason. 
So I've talked about this one all year. He's one of my favorite players in the league, has been for a while. Uh, I don't know if this one is a is a fairly likely one. It's just maybe my idealistic one in my head. And this is if the Orioles don't bring back Jose Iglesias. That's Andrelton Simmons, uh, future Hall of Famer Andrelton Simmons, that is. Uh, turns just 31 next year. I would bring him in on a three-year, 20-ish million-dollar deal. Uh, played three just 30 years. games. Yeah, three years. Why not? Why not? Yeah, I, mean, I, I think I think Simmons is good enough that he will command some money at the free agent market because there's always value for a guy who is that good defensively and he gives you a good bat. So I think if you are going out to sign him, giving him a longer deal than one or two years might entice him to come to the Orioles a little bit more than somebody else. So that's why I gave him a little bit of a longer deal. I think he is a similar profile to... Jose Iglesias in a lot of yes. ways. Defense first, shortstop. They're almost the exact same age. I think they're both going to turn 31 this offseason. Um, yeah. And, yeah, I mean, Simmons, I think, would only make sense if either you don't want to bring back Jose Iglesias and you don't pick his, up his option, or you pick up his option and then trade him, which would be kind of backwards. If, if you do that, then would not make entirely a whole lot of sense, but you could bring in Andrelton Simmons on a deal. I think... They could make this move. Um, I think it would be a shorter-term deal if they're going to be doing that. I think it's going to be in the range of a one plus one, maybe a one with a team option, similar to what we saw with Jose Iglesias, maybe one year, six, seven million dollars. Um, he hit two ninety-seven last year, but had zero homers. So you worry about his pop going forward. Whereas Iglesias, at this point last year, was on a higher trajectory. Had just hit eleven homers the year before. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the, the the glove is still outstanding. Four-time gold glove winner. I think he's got a platinum glove in there as well. Um, I could see this being a potential move if the Orioles want to, you know, maybe they want to have their cake and eat it too. Re-up Iglesias, trade him, get back a young piece there, and then end up signing a, a similar type player in Angleton Simmons. Yeah, my thinking here is that Simmons is basically just a better version of Jose Iglesias. Like you said, he's one of the better fielders, quite frankly, of all time at the shortstop position. And he played in just 30 games in 2020 before he ended up opting out of the season. So I think he gives you the other thing that I noted as well. Jose Iglesias had to play a good amount of games at DH in 2020 because he was dealing with some injuries. Simmons probably won't have to play DH at all. If, if not, at least not much in 2021, he can be pretty much your everyday shortstop. So maybe the Orioles, you know, are looking at somebody who they need to play shortstop more consistently than Iglesias was playing last year. And that could be a reason for bringing Simmons in. Yeah, I, I, I again, I could see it. I think three years, though, would be a little bit long because you do have some shortstops in this in the system. I know that they are a, a, probably at least a year away. When you talk about um, Jordan Westberg, Gunnar Henderson, um, Taryn Vavra. So you have three guys probably right in that middle spot that could be coming up through the system. But I, I doubt that they any of those guys would make their major league debuts in 2021. So, yeah, and if the Orioles don't want to stick with Richie Martin, I mean, Richie Martin kind of the forgotten man, unfortunately, for this season because he ended up uh, pulling a Paul Mancano and breaking his wrist. Um, and, you know, ends up not uh, being a factor at all in this season. So maybe they maybe they don't want to bring back Jose Iglesias and they want to try to give 
Richie Martin another chance at shortstop. I think that's another potential option there. But I think that shortstop still is is a potential spot for them to add somebody. And shortstop is just such a premium position as well that you want to make sure no matter who it is, whether it's Simmons, Iglesias, or Richie Martin, that it's solid in some way. So if you don't end up bringing back Iglesias, maybe you want to bring in a guy like Simmons to even be a mentor for a guy like Richie Martin, try to improve defensively. I think Simmons would be a big help to anybody on that team just because of how good of a fielder he is. I think bringing in a guy like Simmons can do nothing but help you. All right, who's your next potential likely Orioles free agent signing? And my next one is Marwin Gonzalez. He was a bigger free agent signing a few years ago when he went from Houston to Minnesota, has had a few down years, and I don't think he's going to command as much money on the free agent market. I had him going to the Orioles on a two-year, $11 million deal. He can play pretty much any position that you need him to. He's played a lot of first base, second base, third base he's even played the corner outfield spots personally i see him sticking with the orioles at maybe third base if you're not liking the production that you're getting out of rio ruiz next season i think gonzalez would be a step up production wise and he could also shift over to second and you could move alberto to third he gives you a lot of versatility and options and i think that's kind of a super utility guy that the orioles could have a pat valeka type but a little bit better offensively (laughs) and Defensively, yeah, it's just a, a better Pat Valeka. 53 games in 2020. He had a down year, hit just 211, but he did have five homers, 22 RBIs. I think he'll probably hit somewhere in the mid 250s, 260s. He hit 264 with 15 homers in 2019. Like I said, he's solid defensively, and I think he probably gives you some more value at third base than Rio Ruiz. And you have that ability to move him anywhere you need to if there's injuries other places or you just want to get other guys some reps. I think he's a a good fit for the Orioles because you can have that versatility with him and he's not going to be terribly expensive. I think Marwin Gonzalez will be a good test case to see how much GMs and teams buy into the 60-game sample size that they got last year because you mentioned that 211 average. He had a 606 OPS, not very good at all. And he's 32 years old. So are they going to say, this is going to be who he's going to be going forward? You know, are are we going to get this level of production going forward? Because if so, that that market might disappear from uh, out from under him pretty quickly. Um, But if they think that he could return to the form of a couple years ago of when he signed that deal um, with the Minnesota Twins. Yeah, I mean. I think that he could have a much bigger market. Remember, he does also have ties to Mike Elias going back to the Houston days. So he's got that going for him as a potential Orioles signee. But if if teams buy into the previous Marwin Gonzalez, I think the Orioles probably won't really have a shot at him. But if they are scared off by his 2020 season, I think the Orioles could swoop in and try to get Marwin Gonzalez on a one- or two-year deal. And, and you just talked about the versatility. That is definitely a huge, huge asset uh, for Marwin Gonzalez. He played... First base, second base, third base, and in right field last year, all in 60 games. So they could throw him all over the field. Brandon Hyde likes those versatile guys. Um, Could see that happening. I have it on the lower end in terms of probability, but a a similar deal. Two years, uh, $12 million for Marwin Gonzalez. Yeah, I think he's just the kind of guy where if Pat Vileka is a fringe roster guy, Marwin Gonzalez would definitely make that roster and fill a similar role, but just be better at it. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, all right, who is your next third fairly likely Orioles signing? 
Yeah, the third one that I have that's fairly likely is Alex Wood. Initially, I was thinking maybe Mike Miner, but I thought that might be a little bit too lofty. So I went with a different lefty in Alex Wood. He turns 31 next year. He's had a bunch of solid seasons, um, but over recently, the last two years, he has not been as good. Just a 5.96 ERA over his last two seasons. I think this is a low risk, high reward. I would bring him in on a two year, nine or $10 million deal, somewhere around that range. And you're looking to see if you can get the 2016 to 2018 production out of Alex Wood. He had a 3.29 ERA over those three seasons, and he had that amazing all star season back in 2017 when he went 16 and three with a 2.72 ERA. It could be a similar deal to Alex Cobb, where you're kind of hoping for that past production but you're not going to die with his contract if he doesn't give you that. So that is what I'm looking for here in Alex Wood. You're hoping that he could maybe turn into a number three, number four in that rotation if he gives you similar production to the past years. And if not, I think at worst, he's a long reliever swingman type. So you're hoping for that starting rotation production out of Alex Wood, but if not a two-year, nine or $10 million deal, isn't going to kill you at the end of the day. Yeah, I think Alex Wood fits the bill of what the Orioles tend to look for, at least what they have the past couple of years, which is a veteran lefty. Uh, we saw it with Tommy Malone. Um, we saw it with Wade LeBlanc last offseason. Both those guys came in. One had success, one didn't, but they both fit the bill of a guy who's on the wrong side of 30, kind of crafty lefty, um, and they're hoping that they can get some solid production out of him. And both of those guys also, I think, had come off previously poor seasons in 2018, and they were hoping to cash in, uh, or 2019, rather. Am I saying this right? Yeah. And we're hoping to yeah. cash in in 2020. Um, and I think that would be the sim- uh, uh, similar deal with Alex Wood. You know, the Orioles get him on the cheap because he's coming off a very poor season for him, and they hope that he turns into his previous self, and they're able to flip him for something or someone at the deadline. So I, I think that he fits their bill in a lot of ways. I think he's somebody to watch, absolutely. But he might have a bigger market than what the Orioles are looking for. In terms of, of pitchers, I have another guy uh, that is a, a veteran righty, Tyson Ross, right-handed pitcher. Uh, he's a 10-year veteran, been on five different teams. Uh, he's got a career ERA of about four, so he's a pretty solid starter, but is, again, coming off a poor season, not in 2020, but in 2019 with the Detroit Tigers, where he had a 6-11 ERA in just seven starts. It was injury-riddled, and then he ended up opting out uh, this past offseason, I think when he signed with the Giants. So another guy that now they're looking back a couple years, gets a little bit riskier when you're doing that, um, but hoping that he can return to his 2018 self and try to sign to Tyson Ross Maybe he gets, turns in some solid performances for the first couple months of the season. You end up flipping him at the deadline or earlier in June like they did with Andrew Kashner a year ago. So I have Tyson Ross as a potential signee for the O's. I know none of these are, are you know, absolutely exciting. We're hoping they're going to get more exciting as they go along too. But I, I'm try, we're trying to be realistic here, Brendan. Yeah, I think it's a pretty real scenario where if the Orioles aren't ready to call up somebody like a Michael Bauman or a Zach Lowther to add into their rotation for next season, that they might go out and try to look for a lower-end starter. And he'll probably be working with borrowed time until some of those prospects get called up. So there's no reason to make a huge splash in free agency and signing some stud starting pitcher. You're not going to go get Trevor Bauer, right? But 
maybe you could get a number four, number five, somebody to hold you over until some of those prospects get called up, hopefully sometime in 2021, and they're ready to make their debuts in the O's starting rotation. Yeah, so my deal for Tyson Ross would be one year, about $2.5 million with incentives for ERA innings pitched. I think we could see some contracts signed with the Orioles this year that are incentive-laden as well. All right, give me another potential Orioles signee, Brandon. All right, this is a fun one. I'm trying to get some more fun names in here. How about Sean Doolittle? Everybody loves Sean Doolittle. He's the man. Uh, he's. I think he would be perfect for this younger, rebuilding Orioles team. He would be great to have in the locker room. He does turn 35 next year, and he had a bit of a rocky 2020. I would bring him in on a maybe two-year, $10 million deal. Like I said, the 5.87 ERA last year is not great, but he's been great over his career. I would bring him in not to be the closer, but maybe in a seventh, eighth inning role. He's a few years removed that 1.6 ERA back in 2018. I think he can still be an effective lefty out of the bullpen. And I think he would just be a great addition to the Orioles. I don't think it's very likely because I think he probably will command a decent amount of attention in free agency. And maybe the Orioles don't want to make that big of a splash, especially with a reliever that's going to be turning 35. But I just think it would be really fun to have Sean Doolittle on this younger rebuilding team. I think he would be perfect for the locker room and great for the Orioles bullpen. Yeah, I mean, relievers tend to be up and down, and that was the case for Sean Doolittle this year. He started the year very poorly. He had diminished velocity on his fastball, uh, goes to a lower lower leverage role on the team. That doesn't really help too much. Ends up uh, heading to the injured list, comes back, and is great and is outstanding for a few relief appearances. Lowers that ERA under six. Looks like the Sean Doolittle of the year before um, that helped them in their World Series run and then ends up getting injured for the rest of the season. So he probably is not happy, (laughs) at least about when this free agency hits for him. It's unfortunate timing-wise. So the Orioles might be able to swoop in and get him. um, And and if they buy into the second half, so to speak, of the 2020 season that they saw from Sean Doolittle, Maybe they can get another team to do so at the deadline, flip him for something. Um, but relievers are, are quite valuable. And if, if there's a contending team that thinks that they liked what they saw in that second half of 2020, they might be able to pay Sean Doolittle just a little bit more to be on a competitive team um, as well. But, yeah, I mean, you have the option of uh, maybe you don't even have to move, Sean. Maybe you can just stay down in the D.C. area. Um, and uh, take I-95 or 295 up uh, to Camden Yards every day. I, actually, never never mind. Don't do that. Traffic is absolutely horrible. Um, all right. Uh, another pitcher that I have for you, Brendan. This guy's a starter. 29-year-old Michael Waka. Everybody knows him mostly from his time with the Cardinals, but he did sign a one-year deal with the Mets last year, and the Mets ruined him, as they do with all of the the players that come through their organization they can't have nice things. Uh, they can't. They really can't. He's been around for quite a while, 10 years, um, or uh, eight years, rather. He had a career ERA just a tick over four. Last year, uh, six six two for the ERA in eight games. Really just a career low uh, for Michael Waka. But he's still 29 um, and was good back in 2018. So if you turn back the clock just a couple years, he had a three two zero ERA. Uh, in his age 27 season uh, for the Cardinals at that point. So another guy that, you know, 
they might be able to to turn into something. They they cash in on a on his low, poor twenty twenty season. Uh, don't have to spend a whole lot, and then flip him at the deadline. Now, Paul, I'm a little bit surprised that you went with two starters here. We're getting a lot of comments. Thanks for following along. <laughs> that the Orioles are could use roast some me? bullpen help. I think. I, th- I think people are are seeing the prospects and hoping that more guys will come up and be similar to a Keegan Aiken and Dean Kramer and have success in the Orioles rotation where there might be more of a need for some more veteran guys in the Orioles bullpen rather than the starting rotation. Here's the thing though. You do have some guys solidified there because if assuming that the Orioles and they might trade some guys away, but let's for the sake of right now, just assume that they don't trade anybody away from that bullpen. They still have Sean Armstrong who had a great year uh, although injury marred at times. They still have Paul Fry. They still have Dylan Tate. They still have Hunter Harvey. Um, and they still have Evan Phillips as a potential guy to go back and forth. So those are four and a half pretty solid Don't forget guys. Cesar Valdez. And Cesar Valdez, of course. How could I forget about him? Uh, 35 years old and still kicking and still doing great. So, yeah, I mean, they, they I think they're, as weird as it might say, I, I think they might be okay in terms of the bullpen. And, Maybe they, I think that they will start to see, we will see Michael Bauman come up as a starter. We will see Zach Lowther, Alexander Wells probably come up as a starter, at least to start their careers. So those rotation spots will be harder and harder to come by. But maybe that means that they kick some guys to the bullpen. Maybe they try, you know, maybe Bruce Zimmerman, they say, you're better off as a long man reliever. Um, you know, Thomas Eshelman, another guy that that had a pretty good season last year that could be a long man in terms of the bullpen. So... They might be okay in the bullpen, um, but you know you could always use guys uh, relievers uh, to add in free agency, and especially considering key relievers are so valuable right at the deadline. We saw last year that the Orioles were able to flip two guys uh, right at the deadline in Miguel Castro um, and uh, Michael Givens, and were able to get back quite a return for both those guys. So. Teams will pony up the dough at the deadline for relievers. It's just it's just a kind of a minefield finding which relievers are going to be good because guys can be incredible one year and then just terrible the next. And if you don't want to sign a guy that is going to be terrible for you and then you end up wasting the money, especially on a team that's not competing this year. Yeah, and surface level, there's really not a lot of names in the Orioles bullpen right now, but there's a few guys, like you said, that kind of had sneaky good years. Like Sean Armstrong, it didn't really seem like he was lights out, but he has an amazing ERA for 2020. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Orioles went out and got a veteran bullpen arm, but I also don't think it's the biggest need in free agency if you're looking to solidify some places on the roster. Okay, so we've gotten through, I think, four. So we've got a couple more free agent signings potential. Brendan, who's your next one? Yeah, this one, again, is just more of a fun one. Jonathan Scope. Bring the boy home. He's with the Austin 2013 to 2018. He was solid last year, hit 278 with eight home runs. I would give him a three-year, 18-ish million dollar deal. I would play him at second base. You can move Hanser Alberto over to third. Alberto's been solid over there. I think he's probably a better third baseman, at least value-wise, than Rio Ruiz right now. It would just be so fun to bring Scope home. He hit 23 homers with Minnesota in 2019. I think he would provide some more power towards the middle of the Orioles lineup with hopefully Mancini and Mountcastle kind of leading the charge there. It would just be so fun to bring him back. I know this is a homer move, but I want to bring back Jonathan Scope, stick him at second base, move Hanser over to third. 
Yeah. It, it makes sense, and it's just fun. It is fun, and I think Orioles fans would love to see it. He, he was a fan favorite by a large margin, and a guy that uh, at one point, it is crazy to, to think about, but back when Manny Machado was being discussed in trade talks at the winter meetings, you know, six months or so before he ended up being traded to the Dodgers, so this was the winter meetings of 2017, yeah, um, before he was traded in 2018, Jonathan Scope was being talked about as the guy that you needed to extend right away so that you didn't have the same thing happen with him in a year. Because Scope was one year away uh, from hitting free agency and an extra year away from hitting free agency. So he's under contract for two more years. And I remember fans clamoring and understandably saying, we got to lock this guy up. He's just an all-star. We want to make sure that he is uh, an Oriole for long for the long haul because we don't want to see him hit free agency and end up having to sign a massive deal somewhere else. He was being discussed in the same conversation and then ended up just absolutely bottoming out with the Brewers, getting non-tendered that offseason, and really has not found a home um, over the past year or so. So another buy-low candidate for Jonathan Scope. And, and how old did you say he is? Is he on the wrong side of 30 yet? He'll be turning 30 next season. Okay, so... That's fine for a, for a second baseman. That'd be very much fun. I like that idea, Brendan. Thank you. Yeah, I think he might be a little bit too pricey for the O's. I think he's going to command a decent market because even if he doesn't hit for a ton of average, he'll probably still give you 20, 25 homers in a year. So I think as, least, as long as second baseman go, I think he will give you a good amount of power from that position. So he's got value, but... If he hasn't found a home, like you said, bring him home. Yeah. All right. I have another infielder, Adani Hechevarria. He is 32 years old. Not exactly the most attractive name out there on the market, but a guy that the Orioles pursued at this point last year. They ended up going with Jose Iglesias, and they made the right decision because Hechevarria was eh, very eh, with the Atlanta Braves last year. 254 average, did not homer, only three extra base hits, played just 27 games. Uh, 607 OPS. His his value is mostly defensively, versatile defensively as well. Uh, played third base, played shortstop, actually played more games at second base than any other position last year, even though uh, he had traditionally been a, a shortstop throughout his career. So I think if they liked him last year, even though he had a down 2020, I could see them going after a Danny Hechevarria again this year. Yeah, I think he would be a solid signing. I don't think he would be anything flashy. No. I think he's probably along the lines of a Pat Vileka type. Where you're, you can you're telling me a Danny Hetchevarian is not a flashy name. I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, he's been around forever. He would be a good veteran utility guy. Another guy I was thinking of but didn't end up putting on the list that I think would be around a similar signing as an Echevarria. Two guys, actually, Josh Harrison and Brock Holt who are both with the Nationals this year, they would fill very similar roles where they're pretty much super utility guys. They would probably play almost every day, if not close to every day, just at different positions around the diamond, wherever you need them to be. I think Echevarria kind of falls into that category of guys that you could potentially sign just to play wherever, wherever you need them. All right. How many do you have left, Brendan? Just one? Just one. All right, give it to me. Yeah, so this is a ridiculous one that will never happen. Uh, but Justin Turner 
is my Orioles free agent signing that if I had unlimited money and I were the do. GM of the Baltimore Orioles, which you are, uh, which I do, uh, which I do and which I am, uh, I would sign Justin Turner to a two year, I think around $28 million deal. I think he's <laughs> going to command a lot of money, even though he turns 36 next season, hit 307 with four homers in 2020 for the Dodgers. He's been solid so far in the postseason. He looked good last night in the first game of the World Series as well. He had two straight years of being top 10 in MVP voting in 2016 and 2017, and he finished 14th in 2018, so three consecutive years of being one of the best players in the National League. Hits for average, hits for power. I think he would fill that gap at third base. So if I had unlimited funds, I would sign Justin Turner if he, for some reason, wanted to leave the Dodgers and come to the Baltimore Orioles. I'll tell you what, this free agent market overall is pretty short on names. There are yes. really not a whole lot of guys at the upper echelon. I mean, JT, you have JT Real Muto near the top. I guess Justin Turner. Uh, you have, um, I don't know, who else do you have? Who, who uh, Trevor Bauer, I guess, is... is Probably the top. Well, there was John Carlos Stanton, but he took his player option, so he's not on the market anymore. I think understandably. I think t- taking the... Understandably. How much money yeah. was left on that? I think approximately a gazillion. <laughs> okay, yeah. Yes. Thank you for rounding down, actually. Yes, uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it is not a particularly sexy free agent market, so to speak. Not at least what we've seen over the past couple years. Um, so, and especially with teams not wanting to spend much money this offseason, I don't know if we're going to see huge splashes. Justin Turner would be one of the bigger splashes uh, this offseason, no matter where he goes. I think probably he, he might stick um, with the Dodgers just because that organization has been great to him and it's been a great relationship. But yeah, that'd be fun. That'd be fun. I uh, Famous Matt, Justin Turner. Yeah. I, am I out of deals? I think I'm entirely out of deals. Oh, wait, I have one more. This is just a throwaway. You ready for this one, Brennan? I'm ready. Nelson Cruz. (laughs) I thought about it. I'm going to be honest. I thought about it. Bring him home. Q, bring him home from Les Mis. Uh, Similar to Jonathan Scope, but this he is truly the one that got away. Q, the one that got away by Katy Perry. Uh, You know, he's 40 years old at this point, but here's my thinking. If you do trade Renato Nunez, you have an opening at DH, maybe... Maybe. and Well, I thought we were trading Renato Nunez because we didn't have know, an opening at DH. Yeah, I know. It, it is totally backwards as, in terms of uh, philosophy. But I just want to see this happen. I think it'd be fun. Maybe you trade Renato Nunez and somebody else. I don't know. And you, you make it work. You make it work to bring back Nelson Cruz, Brendan. Because yeah. Cue uh, all of the angry tweets saying, imagine if the Orioles had just re-signed Nelson Cruz yeah. and Nick. It is. It bring is, him back. Bring him back. Bring him back like clockwork. Let's yeah. Let's bring the whole gang back. What's Nick Markakis's contract status like? He's a he's a free agent as well. Is he? I mean, well, he's, he's turning 30, 38, but 38. he's also a free agent. Yeah. It's Listen, gonna, we bring back a 38 year old Nick Markakis. We bring home a 47 year old Nelson Cruz. While we're at yeah. it, let's just bring 52 year old Edwin Encarnacion in. Let's get Delman Young out of retirement. Yeah. Let's reunite the 2014 Orioles and. uh Let's just put it all out get on the Ryan field. Ryan Flaherty. Let's just get the whole gang back together. And we'll, we'll have to wait a couple of years for Manny, of course, to opt out of the second half of his deal with the Padres and re-sign with the Orioles. But on a team-friendly seven-year, $7 million. Oh, hometown deal. discount. Exactly. Hometown discount. All right, Brendan, yeah. uh, this was fun. 
We'll see what the Orioles end up doing in free agency. Probably not a whole lot, but I think that'll be the story in baseball uh, in general for this free agent market. So thanks so much for hopping on to discuss these potential free agents. Yeah, absolutely. So that is not the end of the podcast, however. Tyler Nevin is a prospect that entered the Orioles system right before the trade deadline. Exciting infield prospect uh, who played most recently for the Hartford Yard Goats. And I spoke to the broadcaster of the Hartford Yard Goats, Jeff Dooley, about what he saw from Tyler Nevin a couple years ago, back in 2019. Here's our interview. Now we're joined on the Mass and All Access podcast by Jeff Dooley, who is the radio voice of the Hartford Yard Goats. You may know them as the most recent team of Tyler Nevin, one of the Orioles prospects they acquired right before this year's trade deadline. Jeff, thanks so much for hopping on here. Well, thanks, Paul, for having me. It's, uh, you know, it's always good to talk some baseball. Absolutely, especially in such a difficult year and a year in which uh, Tyler Nevin did not get to play for you guys but ended up switching organizations. But let's start with his 2019 season. Came over as a number 38 overall pick. Uh, is a guy from a baseball family. He's the son of Phil, who is the current New York Yankees third base coach. What did you know about him uh, coming into the Hartford Yard Goats? Well, coming off the 2018 season, he had his best career year at, at high A Lancaster and uh, really tore it up in the California League and a well-deserved promotion uh, to double A Hartford for, for 2019. And um, like many players do, the toughest adjustment, people tell me anyway, is going from high A to double A. And he did go through those adjustment pains uh, early on, April into May. And then, like a lot of first-round picks do, he figured it out and ended up having a, a really solid season. When you look overall, Paul, at his numbers, uh, he, he hit well and, and actually finished on a terrific note. He was the player of the month in, in August uh, in the Eastern League and and actually put up tremendous numbers, scored 14 runs, drove in 24 runs in 30 games, hit, uh, I think it was eight home runs in the month of August. So he really left a nice impression, I think, on uh, certainly the fan base in Hartford, as well as a lot of the evaluators. And, and I really think he's a, a tremendous get for the Orioles. And the injuries kind of hampered his earlier seasons as he began his minor league career in 16, 17, and even a little bit in 18 but he played over 100 games for you guys. Do you think that you mentioned that kind of slow start that he had to the 2019 season? Do you think part of that could have been due to recovering from some injuries? Possibly. And you're right. He played 130 games last year for the Yard Goats, and that's the most career games that he's put together. And you'd obviously love to see that continue to, to progress in the right direction. And, you know, as you get up to the major leagues, you want to even play more. But he was hampered early on with some injuries. I think he played 100 games the year before when he was out in the California League. So to see him as, a, as an everyday guy in the lineup with the Yard Goats and, and to see him and he'll play. Uh, he played mostly first base. He, he played the most games at first base last year for the club. They'll move him over to third base. He's very versatile. He actually got some reps in the outfield as well. So he is a guy that will give the Orioles a lot of different choices on where to put him because I think at the end of the day, they'll want that bat in the lineup because he's a kid that um, as he continues to, to grow and get stronger, he's he has the ability to hit the ball over the fence. And he's got a tremendous eye, Paul. I, I think that's one of the biggest things that – um, was impressive to me was he, he almost has the, the recognition and I don't want to say of a major league strike zone, but these guys really are now two steps away from the major league. So you may be facing a guy at, at, in the Eastern League one day and two days later he's pitching uh, in the big league. So to recognize the strike zone and not be afraid to take a walk, I thought was very mature of him just at, at 22 a year ago. 
Yeah, and that's what GM Mike Elias said uh, attracted him, especially to Tyler Nevin, was the fact that he had uh, outstanding plate discipline. Is that somewhat rare to see guys that advanced in terms of their eye at the plate at the level that you were calling games? Yeah, I, I, it was one of the things that jumped out to me because you, you get guys, especially early on, talking about that maturation process going from high A to double A. And, and guys may look at their April numbers and say, oh, boy, I, I better start swinging the bat or I'm going to get sent back to the California League. And, and you don't want to hit that panic button just yet. But he's a kid that even though maybe the average wasn't where he wanted to be early on, that he actually wasn't afraid to take a walk or get on base or do it, do what he had to do for the team. And obviously you mentioned his dad, Phil, and, and to have that resource that you can call after the game is I think impressive for anybody, but not only did Tyler have him uh, obviously on the speed dial, but Phil actually got a chance to see him play more than once with his dad being coached with the Yankees the Bombers would play an afternoon game in New York. He would shoot up to Hartford. It's about two hours away and catch the Yard Goats game that night. So Phil not only got a chance to hear his son on the phone talk about maybe what went right or what went wrong or where he's struggling or what he's doing. Well, Phil actually got a chance to see it firsthand himself. So uh, I just think not only does he have a great advantage of having that um, dad to call that is, you know, a, a former first round pick himself, but but to have dad at so many of his games. And and I know Phil would, would watch the other games are streamed and on MILB.com so he could watch the game on a flight when the Yankees played a day game and on his flight after the game, he'd watch the Yard Goats game that night. So. Uh, I just think that's just another source and really another piece of equipment that uh, that Nevin has in that toolbox. That's awesome. I think I remember a couple weeks ago when the Yankees were playing a playoff game, seeing somewhere on Tyler's social media that he was watching that game as well. So obviously keeping uh, track of the Yankees and maybe he'll be playing against the Yankees in a couple years uh, for the Orioles. But you mentioned his defensive versatility, played the bulk of his games at first base, almost 100 games there, but also spent some time at third base in the outfield. Do you think first base is his best defensive position at this time? Well, that's a tough question. I, I, I liked him. At, yeah, I, I saw him at first, obviously, the most, and, and he, he was really good at that spot. But I think it's going to depend on, you know, who the Orioles have at that position and where he's going to fit in. I think the one has bat to play in the lineup. So you do have the ability to move him to the other corner and get him some some reps at the hot corner at third base. Um, and you also have a chance to move him to the outfield as well. So I, I think it'll just be where they see him fit. You know, you see a lot of older guys sometimes move over to first base. Um, uh, there was another kid that the, a big prospect, the Rockies had Colton Welker, who got a majority of the reps at third base. So I think that's one of the reasons why Tyler was at first base. But, you know, with the interchangeable parts, I think wherever uh, makes sense for him, um, he's really good defensively, understands the game extremely well with that high knowledge. We mentioned he's grown up around it. He's not getting phased by major league guys because he, he was talking to major league guys. He was in a clubhouse when he was three years old. So that's certainly uh, one of the benefits that the Orioles have with, uh, with Nevin. Absolutely. And, and dealing with him from the media side and the broadcasting side, what was he like to deal with? And was he a good interview? Was he, did he seem to be a good guy uh, to have in the clubhouse as well? Yeah, he's a terrific guy. He really is. Uh, he, he never said no. We asked him to do a ton of stuff, obviously, being a number one pick. And there were a lot of requests that um, came locally in Hartford, uh, as well as nationally, as well as, uh, you know, in, in Colorado and Denver. And um, 
I think, again, the benefit of growing up with a dad that played in the major leagues and being around it and, you know, maybe not having cameras in his face when he was, a, you know, a little kid. But I'm sure as he, he progressed in high school that, you know, he was he was someone that learned how to do an interview. And um, he's a terrific kid. He really is. And uh, he's really genuine. And, and he was unbelievable to our fans. And and I think he's someone that, uh, you know, the, the folks in Birdland are going to like a lot. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time talking about Tyler Nevin here on the Mass and All Access podcast. Always good to get uh, the insight of somebody who watched him for all 130-some games in the 2019 season. So thanks again, Jeff. Yeah, Paul, and before I, uh, before I run, I, uh, Taryn Varga, who the other kid they got in that deal, yeah. I go way back with his dad. So talk about um, the guys that have good bloodlines, right, to the big leagues. Uh, Varga's dad, Joe Varga, was a longtime minor league instructor in the Minnesota Twins, our former organization, and Joe would come in, and I remember Taryn was just a kid, and um, the Rockies really liked him a lot, too. So he's a guy. And, and now Barbara's dad was uh, just on Guardy staff in Detroit with the Tigers. So they, they get really two guys that know a lot about the game of baseball. So uh, I think a couple of win-wins for Baltimore, for sure. Yeah, I mean, two guys that went into the family business and have a lot of uh, baseball knowledge just sitting down at the dinner table. Uh, we, yeah, we, were, <laughs> we were just talking about... Uh, Bavra just a few days ago as well on the podcast. He seems like another high character guy that uh, knows a lot about the game. Yeah, I haven't seen him play professionally. He spent his season in A-ball last year, but I was really looking forward to uh, to seeing him uh, in 2020. I thought he would probably have a really good shot to make the Yard Goat Club. So I, I guess I'm going to have to wait till the Yard Goats play the Bay Sox, and we'll see him at some point in Bowie, I'm sure. Sounds good. Awesome. Well, two for the price of one. We got analysis on two guys that the Orioles got back uh, in the trade right before the trade deadline. So thanks again, Jeff, for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Paul, for having me. I appreciate it.